Thank you, Mario. So, you know, originally when uh, I, I volunteered to teach this uh, in, in March, I was going to teach about uh, false teachers, then I was going to teach about the doctrines of grace, the five solas, and then uh, we started this trend on evangelism and, and testimonies. So I thought I'd start out this morning with my testimony and uh, share with you uh, my walk uh, with Christ, or lack of it for most of my life, and uh, tell you how I came to Christ and uh, share a few things at the end. I intended to maybe share more, but we only have a little bit of time. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, uh, I grew up in, in the church. Uh, my uh, it was a, called the First Christian Church of Brunswick, Ohio. So I grew up in, in Ohio. And uh, the, the name of the denomination is Disciples of Christ. I said, well, that's, you know, go to that church. You must be a good Christian, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I started there as a little kid. And by all worldly accounts, and this is me saying it, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. I was a good little boy <laughs> growing up in the church. My grandmother played the piano in Sunday school. My mother played the organ during church service. Many of my aunts and uncles and my cousins went to the same church. It, uh, and it was the same church that my mom grew up in. She started there at age three going to that church. I didn't know that until I asked her as an adult, what church did you go to when you were a little kid? Well, the same one you went to. <laughs> And as Steve has been teaching us, the church was the hub of my life. It was everything to me. It was Sunday school, youth groups, youth choir, participated in the Christmas story and the pageants, shepherd or whatever I was, I can't remember. Uh, attended rummage sales and, and bake sales with my mom and grandmother, helping my grandmother prepare communion. Uh, I was a junior deacon ushering at a very young age. I was mowing the lawn of the, of the uh, church. It was three acres, all by hand. <laughs> I remember, well, oh, that, that lawnmower's getting hot. <laughs> I, I gotta go pour some water on it. <laughs> I was baptized at the age of 12, because that's kind of what you did. And I, with my brother and my cousins, we all got baptized together. We were all about the same age. I knew the Ten Commandments, uh, and I can remember looking in the mirror. Boy, God, you're lucky to have me. <laughs> I can remember saying that. <laughs> I can also remember trying to read the Bible. And pardon the pun, but it was Greek to me. Yeah, I mean, it was a King James Version, and I couldn't get past the first page. And so I, I, I know I made several attempts to read the Bible, and I, it just didn't resonate. I couldn't, couldn't read it. I can also can remember in youth choir, and I'm thinking of myself over here singing just now. I love to sing loud and praise the Lord, but I always sing off key. <laughs> I'm not a very good singer. And, and the, the, there's a youth choir practice. My mom's playing the organ. The pastor's leading us, and it's, it's a Christmas song. And he, he says to my mom, could you ask David not to sing so loud? And he says, well, he really likes it. And I said, well, my mom's got my back. <laughs> so anyways, I was doing what I thought everybody did. Basically, I'm going through the motions. Like every Good Friday, back then all the stores closed on Good Friday. 
as well as every Sunday they were closed as well. Uh, and we went to a, a, a church with the rest of the community. We went to a different church, but it seemed like the whole community was there. As far as I know, the whole, the whole town was there. And we were in church from noon to three every Easter. Uh, and, and that was just part of going through the motion and doing those things. It's, it's not like today, hardly anybody in the, here in the Bay Area, right, goes to church. In, in high school, somehow I got selected by the Kiwanis Club who sponsored me for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I didn't know who sponsored me until I went through, my mom kept all the newspaper clippings and I was going through some of this stuff and I found out it was the Kiwanis Club that sponsored me for their annual conference. And it was out in Colorado, we're in Ohio. Uh, I don't know why they selected me because Maybe it was because I was the president of the key club, which is a junior Kiwanis club, or quarterback of the football team, student trainer of the basketball team, member of the science club, library club, chess club, National Honor Society, member of the TV quiz team. Uh, oh, yeah, I washed the school buses, too. I pumped gas for 75 cents an hour. I can remember how much I was. I was in the Boy Scouts, uh, first class, order of the arrow. Well, after I wrote all that out, I says, I guess I was just as visible in the community as I was in the church. I was a busy little boy doing things, being a good little boy. At the conference, I remember hearing Paul Anderson speak, who was considered the strongest man in the world. Uh, and Bobby Richardson of the New York Yankees uh, was there to speak. But looking back on it now, I have no idea what they said, what they taught. Uh, uh, I had no idea what the gospel was. And so this is uh, uh, just after high school. All I knew was being a Christian meant you were a good person by keeping the Ten Commandments. I can't remember any doctrine being taught in the church that I went to. I can't remember what was taught in those Easter services. Nothing is stuck in my permanent memory. But I could remember the hymns. Holy, holy, holy was one of them. I mean, just, and, and onward Christian soldiers was another one, you know. When, when we sung that, the last time I taught, I had no idea that hardly anybody sings that anymore, Onward Christian Soldiers. I can remember, though, the virgin birth being taught. Uh, but I did have a Sunday school teacher tell me that Jesus did commit sins. Yeah. I did not understand that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. And I still could not read the Bible. I went off to college in Cleveland. We, I, uh, Brunswick's a suburb of Cleveland, so I was home on the weekends. I was paying for my, old, my own college uh, tuition from my summer jobs, working in the steel mills or unloading and loading trucks, working a punch press, uh, working for the airlines, loading the bags on the airplanes. Those are some of the summer jobs I had. Halfway through college, got married to the same girl I went to senior prom with. Stopped going to church. Got an electrical engineering degree, and my first job was in technical sales for General Electric. And the reason I got a double E degree is because I had an uncle that had a double E degree, and he worked for Westinghouse. And out of all my uh, aunts and uncles, uh, seven of them, uh, and my cousins, that family had the highest standard of living. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to do that. So that's, but why did I really want to? Why was money a concern to me? And I thought about this, and you know, 
We did grow up very poor to begin with. The first house my parents had had no running water. But my dad did get a nice job working for United Airlines as an automotive mechanic. And between the ages of four and five is when we moved into our first new house that my parents had. So after that, we lived the typical middle-class life. My dad taught me to be a good employee. I was working at a gas station, and he comes in. He worked there as a second job. He was a great provider for our family. And he said, what are you doing sitting there? And he says, well, I'm waiting for the next customer to come in, so I go out and pump the gas, because that's what you did back then. You didn't pump your own gas. And he says, oh, no, when you have idle time, you're not paid to sit there. He says, you do something while you're waiting to do that. And so uh, I, I made a list here. I, I, uh, boy, did I have a lot to do. <laughs> Clean the restrooms, paint the curbs around the islands of the gas pumps. Every night before we left, we washed and waxed the floors of the whole gas station, including the bay floors, uh, all the inventory, all stacked and nicely uh, placed and displayed, uh, we probably had the nicest looking gas station on the Ohio Turnpike. Uh, it was a great lesson though that served me for the rest of my life. Anytime I had downtime on a job, I looked for something else to do. And it always looked like I, you know, I cared and it was trying to do the best job possible. And it got me promotions throughout my, my career. One other thing my dad taught me, don't buy a watch from the guy that comes in with 10 of them on his wrist when he drives into the gas station. Guess what I did? <laughs> I bought one of those watches. About a week later, it stopped working. So a, another big lesson there. Uh, some things are too good to be true. At General Electric, I started moving up the corporate ladder. Uh, we bought our first house in 1978. Before, so I was about 26, 27 years old then. Our first of four children, before our first of four children was born. By the time I was 36 years old, I had made VP of sales of a Fortune 500 company. I was chasing the American dream, but without God, not going to church. But the stress of that job and traveling all the time strained the marriage and it fell apart. And we ended up getting divorced. But I kept chasing that dream by trying to live the Silicon Valley dream now at startups, trying to do an IPO and make those millions of dollars. Again, still not going to church. In the meantime, I met Carolyn. We fell in love. And of course, we got married. And Carolyn taught me unconditional love. She accepted me the way I was flaws and all. And she got me going back to church again. And if it wasn't for Carolyn, I wouldn't be here, standing here before you today. She also brought out something that had been dead in me for a long time, emotions. I never cried. I can never remember crying until I met Carolyn. And uh, somehow those emotions started coming out. And you know, when I preach, sometimes I cry now. <laughs> I can cry at commercials. <laughs> it's over the top now. <laughs> at my third startup, trying to make those millions of dollars, that those startups keep failing, you go on to another one. The CEO was a Mormon. 
I was a little nervous about that. I had an aunt and uncle and my cousins that became Jehovah Witnesses uh, when I was in elementary school, and the family didn't have much more to do with them after that. I didn't know what either believed, the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, but I identified as a Christian, and I assumed they were not. Of course, you ask a Mormon, they think they're the best Christians. So, in their opinion, I'm not exactly sure what a Jehovah Witness would say, but because of working for this guy, we were in London in a, and uh, got, he, somebody was late getting into the car, and uh, Steve Young had just given a, a speech at the Republican National Convention as a Mormon, and, and the guy said to our boss, he says, I didn't know Steve Young was uh, uh, a Christian. And he says, oh, yeah, he's Mormons. We're the best Christians. That's, yeah, wow, okay. So after a few years on the job, one day I came into my office, and there's the Book of Mormon on my desk. My boss walks in and says, time for you to become a Mormon. I said to myself, well, I'll check this out. He also said, you know, God didn't stop talking to us after Revelation. There's a lot more after that, you know. I tried reading it. Couldn't make heads or tails out of that either. That was around the year 2000. I had a coworker that came in and saw that Book of Mormon sitting on my desk. And he said to me, Dave, you know, this isn't a true book. It's fiction. That guy really helped me. And I started looking at this with a lot more skepticism than saying, well, being open-minded, well, let's see what the Mormons have to say. And I remember John MacArthur talking about that one time. He says, don't be open-minded. Close it. Close it to the Word of God. Don't, don't go there. I said to myself, well, what do I believe and why do I believe it? And is it true if I do believe it? So I started investigating. Of course, I didn't know it was me doing it. The Holy Spirit was starting to work on me. Because, you know, no one seeks after God. No, not no one. So it was all the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I asked myself, am I a Christian? Is it because my grandmother and mother were Christians? My, my dad and my grandfather uh, did not go to church. And I didn't know my uh, dad on the other side uh, of the family, and the other grandmother didn't live close by. Carolyn and I started going to a seeker-sensitive church. Well, that's an oxymoron because no one seeks after God. So, so there's no such thing as a seeker-sensitive church. The only seeker is Jesus Christ who came to seek and save the lost. But it's funny how God works in strange ways. That seeker-sensitive church got me to reading the Bible. It was the New Living Translation. And for some reason, I could understand it. At the time, I did not realize it because I think God had opened my eyes. Because I can read a King James Version now just fine. It wasn't the translation. God had opened my eyes. But I had, a, I had attributed it at that point in time Oh, it was the translation that made it easy to read. I started reading the Bible ferociously as I started learning what the Bible taught. Back then, of course, we had Christian bookstores that are pretty hard to come by now. And I, I went to them uh, to see what I could find to learn more. 
And one book that helped me believe was, the title is what grabbed me. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I can't recommend the book 100% because there is some false things taught on there, but it's, it's a pretty good foundation. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I also picked up some apologetic books, uh, trying to learn uh, how people defend Christianity and, and, what, and why they defend it the way they do. And th that was very educational. I also started listening to KFAX. I think that's the first time I learned about John MacArthur. At the seeker-sensitive church, we were studying creation. So I went to the bookstore to see what I could find out about creation. And I found my first book by John MacArthur, The Battle for the Beginning, and another by Hugh Ross. And I can't even remember what the title of that book was. I now know that it was the Holy Spirit that had me read John's book first. He debunked Hugh Ross's book totally. I never read it and never looked back. John's teaching on the radio and his books resonated with me. And of course they would because John teaches with the Holy Spirit and it's all sound biblical teaching. The Holy Spirit knew which direction to point me in. At the time, I thought it was my intellectual capacity. I had no idea it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. I thought it was all me. John's book, The Battle for the Beginning, pointed to an apologetic site, Answers in Genesis. History was my favorite subject in high school, and I devoured all the resources that AIG had, and I convinced myself that, I thought I was convincing myself, that the Bible was true, and it was from God. Of course, again, it was the Holy Spirit opening my eyes. I realized that the Bible is the history of the world, and the characters in the Bible are real. They're not just stories like Aesop fables. And as a kid, I remembered the Pew Bibles had dates in them in the, and, uh, of, of what each date, what each page in the Bible when it was happening. And in Genesis, I wanted to know, well, when did the world start? 4004 BC, exactly what I just learned from answers in Genesis. After several years of study, I now had the intellectual knowledge to defend creation against evolution. Now, I know what the Bible taught historically, but what did it teach theologically? And this was like a seven-year trek going through all that part. I can remember some shocking news when I read through the New Testament the first time. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I go, what? Keeping the Ten Commandments doesn't make me a good boy? Yeah. Doesn't make me right with God? I mean, that was really eye-opening for me. And then Romans 5.20, Now the law came in to increase trespass or increase sin. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The Ten Commandments makes me sin more? <laughs> that really rocked my world. And, and I, was I was by no means leaning, leading a sinless life. I'm not saying that. But it makes me sin more. I said, wow, that was a, a hard truth. It wasn't until a few years later I heard John MacArthur 
teaching there's two kinds of religion in the world. The Christian religion, if you want, it's really the Christian faith. It's not really a religion, but of divine accomplishment versus all other religions in the world, human achievement. What can you do, not what Christ has done? Us also soon learn, reading Revelation, what a cult was. As I had the Jehovah Witness aunt and uncles, drag one of uh, our and our cousins off to be Jehovah Witnesses when I was growing up in the Mormons I encountered. And in Revelation 22, 18, 19, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share, the tree of life, and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So you can't add to the Bible and you can't subtract from the Bible. Why did God have to wait until two of the last four verses of the Bible? He finally told me what a cult was. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I had the, the aunt and uncle drag those cousins off when I was in elementary school to Jehovah Witnesses. And I had another cousin that got sucked, in, sucked up into the Jim Jones uh, cult. And she went down to South America in Jonestown, drank the Kool-Aid, and I can remember my grandmother crying when she found out. It just broke her heart. So I've had a passion about being protective of what I read, make sure I don't read the wrong things and get sucked into anything and takes me in the wrong direction. And watch out and point out false teachers. So by now, I know the historical Bible, I know what cults are, and to believe the Bible is about the true God, but I'm still working on the theology of the Bible. I was only a professing Christian at the time. I got a new job in Morgan Hill, California. I live here in Redwood City, commuting every day to Morgan Hill, starting in 2007, and after eight years, I got through the whole Bible that John MacArthur teaches, verse by verse, every one. What a blessing that turned out to be. One sermon in the morning and one sermon at night for eight years. I needed to listen to him again. <laughs> I believed in God, but I needed to believe in Jesus Christ. I needed to commit my life to him. I also had to see Jim MacArthur teach, and I went to my first shepherd's conference. And like uh, Mario was talking about being down there and hearing these 3,000 men in that congregation or more singing together just brings goosebumps. And, and the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, just brought tears to my eyes, hearing all these men singing these words together. And I don't know if that's when, you know, I fully believed or not, but it was a real moment for me. Some other verses that the Holy Spirit used to convict me over time were John 3:12. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And that came out of my stances with answers in Genesis and understanding creation. And don't we want our God to be the creator of the world? 
In Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Matthew 10.28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Remember, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Those were some real convicting words and some scary words. And then I started understanding why I couldn't understand things beforehand. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In this, when I met John MacArthur over in Walnut Creek one time, this is the verse he put in my Bible. I had him sign my Bible. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why I couldn't see before God. The prince and the powers of this world had blinded me. Satan had blinded me. But who lifted that veil? And then the other scary one, Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, prophesy in your, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then... Will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So just knowing what the Bible says isn't enough. I could teach on the Bible before I was a believer. I could teach on creation evolution before I was a believer. But that doesn't mean I was a believer. Then to find out even... The devil and his followers believe the Bible. You believe that God is one, you do well, as James was saying in James 2.19. Even demons believe, but at least they shudder. I put the, but, and shudder, but a lot of us don't believe the Bible. We're not shuddering, but they know what the Bible teaches. They know what their destiny is, and they shudder. They believe, but they will not submit to God's lordship. They will not bow the knee, but they will someday, as we know. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. John 17, 3, in his priestly prayer, and this is the eternal life, that they know you, Jesus talking about his disciples, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life, as the Apostle John in 1 John 5.20 tells us. And then I wrote down John 10. It's Romans 10, 9, and 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 9 through 11. One time I was rereading through the New Testament 
And this is when I finally knew I was a Christian. And this was a couple years before I came to this church. And by the way, it was eight churches before I found this church, trying to find a good church that taught the Bible. And uh, I owe a lot to Grace Bible Church. That verse was 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And somehow I knew I was a new creation. When I read that, that kind of confirmed it because I knew what my perspective in life was. I knew what my perspective on Jesus Christ was. It, it just all came together and confirmed, oh, I am. I'm a Christian now. And how does that happen? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. Without the Holy Spirit's prompting, and some of those people in my life, Carolyn, that guy at work that said, watch out, put me focused on reading God's word. And it's God's word that did it with the prompting. There's uh, two passages I'd like us to turn to. Uh, one is Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 9 through 15. There's so many passages. You know, all the passages on hell that they're out there that, you know, you could refer to to scare people and everything. But, but uh, you know, all those things helped convict me as I was reading through the Bible. But a couple passages, just two passages I wanted to read through. Colossians 2, starting in verse 9 and go through 15. Colossians 2, verse 9. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There is God admonishing us to be careful what we read and, and who we hear things from. For, Did you say Colossians 2? No, I don't think that's well, right. I started at 2, 8, 9. Oh, 2, 8, okay. 2, 8 I started at? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll start again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been fulfilled in him who is at the head of all in rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's just so nice to know that God paid the price or Christ paid the price and, and paid the ransom, nailed it to that cross, our sins. And then the other one is 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 14. Are you sure? I don't know. 
I'm going to say for the love of Christ. So that is, am I in the right place? <laughs> okay. Okay. Second Corinthians five fourteen. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. At this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is in the Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's why we're still here once we're saved. We're ambassadors. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Heaven forbid if you do. For he says, in favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's why Jesus came. So what have I learned since going through all this? Well, I mentioned I'm really sensitive about false teachers. And as I mentioned, took eight churches here in the Bay Area before I ended up here. And some of the things that I learned about false teachers and red flags, if you're attending a, a, another church when you're on vacation or something, uh, might tell you what kind of church you're in, you know, but if they start teaching evolution, I mean, that's, the acid tests for me, if they're not teaching creation was in 4004 BC, I'm out of there because if they don't get the first verse of the Bible right, I don't know what other verses of the Bible they got wrong. And that's an acid test for me. So if they're teaching evolution, you know, evolution was created by Charles Darwin to get rid of God. Why would a church be even teaching evolution? That was the whole reason for evolution in the first place. If a church, church teaches tithing, that's not in the New Testament. Tithing was part of the Israeli theocracy to support the church. It was like a tax, and that's how the church was supported. Social justice, not taught in the Bible. Free grace. You know, some people think, hey, God's forgiven all my sins. I can just keep on sinning and grace about. And Paul says, do not do that. That's not what we're taught once we are saved. We are obedient to Christ. There's some people out there, King James only. There's nothing dramatically wrong with the King James. There's no Bible translation that's perfect because it's, it's, the, it's, if it's in English, it's not in God's original words. We don't have the original manuscripts, but we know that the, 
translations, especially the literal translations, are pretty good compared. You know, we look over there on the old Bibles that we have from 1526 uh, when Tyndale did the first English Bible, and you go all the way through, and we go up to the King James Bible. They're all very consistent. They, they're almost all saying the same thing. A word here or there changes in, in uh, uh, English as the English language matured. You need to use different words to describe different things, but still means the same thing. And, and to me, that was a blessing to see God's providential hand preserving his word. And those translations came from the original Greek and Hebrew that, you know, God meant it, or man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good when the Muslims took over Constantinople and the Greek Orthodox Church uh, refugees started migrating to Western Europe. The Catholics had wiped out all other Bibles except the Latin Vulgate was the only one allowed. No other translations were allowed. Uh, and we got the Greek manuscripts in Western Europe and started reading what the word really said. And uh, so it's nice to see how God does preserve his word. Puffed up teachers that think they're the answer to be all. Uh, not giving glory to God. Free will. It kind of goes with the free grace. You know, it's we have free will. No, you either a slave to who you obey, either the devil or God. What are you a slave of? You do not have free will. Universalism, everybody's gonna be saved. Uh, legalistic church discipline, uh, experience that. Churches that don't teach doctrine because they think doctrine divides the church. So why divide people and make them argue over doctrine? What? <laughs> I like Steve Lawson's saying, better to be united in truth than, uh, I mean, divided in truth than united in air. Uh, you got a pastor up there who said, hey, God's talking to me. Speaking in tongues, gift of healing, referring to the Lord as she. I went to a, a memorial for somebody and it was a Unitarian church, which is a universalism church. And he goes, dear father, mother. Oh, okay. Uh, female pastors and elders. It's not taught in the Bible. Uh, to me, a red flag is uh, a pastor with a degree in philosophy. Uh, and, and I've been to those churches where the pastor has a degree in philosophy, and he quotes the philosophers more than he quotes the Bible. Uh, yeah, you know, been going to funerals a lot, a lot of Catholics, and you know, which teaches purgatory. But it's funny in their funerals, they don't talk about purgatory. They make it sound like they went straight to heaven, but that's not what the religion teaches. But they don't talk about it. I got kicked out of a church whose pastor had a degree in philosophy. We had an argument over baptism. Okay. He said, "You're out of here. You're never coming back." Okay. Uh, there's people that teach there's no hell. Uh, you can be sinless in this life. That's the Nazarene church that teaches you can be sinless in this life. But they, in order to be sinless in this life, they have to redefine sin. That's how they get there. The seeker-sensitive church, which we already talked about. Uh, in one of these seeker-sensitive churches, they, they set up a prayer labyrinth. You know, you go through this maze of prayer stations. You light candles here and do some kind of prayer, and you go over there and do some kind of prayer, and you're mingling off flower line paths or whatever. I never did it. I, the guy that set it up, and he says, where'd you learn about it? Show me in the Bible where you learned about prayer labyrinths. 
You know, found it in some book, you know. It's not based on the Bible. So those are some things that, you know, to be aware of if, if uh, uh, you're, you're at, uh, somewhere else in the country, going to another church, you could be careful. And, you, you know, you can't find out about some of these errors by their statements of faith. You read their statements of faith on online, they sound very biblical. But until you get there and find out what they're actually teaching, you can't tell if they teach creation or not, or evolution, uh, by their statements of faith. Um, so for some resources that I've learned to trust. Answers in Genesis, uh, great ministry about creation evolution. The Way of the Master, uh, which our speaker Sunday was talking about. Living Waters, Ray Comfort's uh, ministry on how to evangelize. Uh, a lot of our tracks come from there, and a lot of our tracks come from Answers in Genesis, and our other tracks from, comes from Grace Community Church. So Grace to You is Grace Community Church. Um, that's the ministry of John MacArthur and all. Just a great resource. Every sermon that John MacArthur's given there on Grace to You, you can listen free. Uh, stream it. You can download it. Some of them now, the, the more later ones, you can even watch them preach it. Every verse of the Bible, any, uh, of the New Testament, you want to know what, go there and you, you just type in the scripture and you can find his, his message on that verse of the Bible. The Shepherd's Conference, what a great resource. Just like here, fellowshipping and knowing that there's fellow brothers and sisters when we're in the, in the, the, the church all together, but being together like this to know that we're not alone, that we're united in Christ as brothers in Christ, and to go down there at the Shepherd's Conference and know it's nationwide, it's worldwide, that, hey, God's ministry is everywhere, and it just kind of reinforces everything uh, that, uh, hey, we're not in this alone. And, and that's kind of what, you know, the COVID lockdown was about, is to separate us so we don't feel that fellowship. Uh, they also have you know, the Shepherds Conference is for men only, but they also have another conference called the Truth Matters Conference. They have that every year, too. And you could take your wives to that. What month? What's that? What month is that? I don't know. I think it's usually in the fall. Another huge resource for me was the MacArthur Study Bible. Getting the MacArthur Study Bible really, really helped me a lot. The, the study notes for all the verses are, are fantastic. But it's some of the things at, at the beginning of the Bible. He has uh, how we got the Bible. That helped me understand that the, you know, the Bible was true. Uh, and there at the, at the end of the Bible, he has genuine saving faith. And to go through all those scriptures to find out if your faith is real. I mean, that's an eye-opener. And then the theology, an overview of theology. I think it's like 10 pages long. And, I, and the one seeker-sensitive church that says, you know, I got more out of theology just reading this than the years I've been going to this seeker-sensitive church. And uh, it's, so uh, having a good study Bible is really important. And then, uh, how are we doing on time? Okay, it's a good thing I decided not to do the rest of this message. <laughs> I have Charles Spurgeon's testimony. <laughs> we'll give you a link to it, though, when we send it out. And John MacArthur's testimony, Justin Peters' testimony. Uh, what, and you'll see different ways people have come to Christ in, in people that we know of. Uh, and it's, it's uh, very eye-opening. So like me, 
It took me a while. I don't know at a specific date and time. Charles Spurgeon knows exactly when he was converted. John MacArthur doesn't know. Justin Peters doesn't know. Justin Peters was already through seminary and still wasn't a Christian. He got all the way through seminary before he became, came to Christ. Uh, John MacArthur thinks maybe when he got thrown out of the car at 70 miles an hour, that might have had something to do with it. Uh, but, uh, so uh, it's, it's, people come to Christ different ways. But it's always through God's word. God's word is convicting us. There's two acrostics that I like. Bible, what's Bible stand for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It just, it just resonates with me. The Bible is our basic instruction book before we leave earth. And then grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. We get God's righteousness at Christ's expense because that's what happened on the cross. He exchanged his righteousness and gave it to us and took our sins away from us. We serve a gracious God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of fellowship at this Bible-believing church that teaches Scripture and Scripture alone, sola scriptura, taught to us from the Reformation. That was the great revival coming out of the Dark Ages. And I'm so blessed to be in a church that still carries on that tradition that we know that faith comes through Christ alone and we give all the glory to God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.